0: Part five, Chapter two of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter two. Early in the winter, Prince Nikolai Andreych Bolkonsky and his daughter took up their residence in Moscow. The fame of his past life, the keenness of his intellect, and his bold originality immediately caused him to be regarded by the Muscovites with special admiration and respect, and as the popular enthusiasm for the emperor alexander's management of affairs had notoriously cooled off and given place to an anti-french and nationalistic tendency now all the vogue in moscow he had become the centre of the opposition to the government the prince had aged very considerably during the year past he now began to manifest some of the acute symptoms of old age unexpected naps forgetfulness of recent events and vivid remembrance of those long past AND THE CHILDISH VANITY WITH WHICH HE ACCEPTED THE ROLE OF CHIEF OF THE MUSCOVITE OPPOSITION. NEVERTHELESS, WHEN THE OLD PRINCE CAME DOWN TO EVENING TEA, IN HIS fur SHUPKA AND POWDERED WIG, AND AT any one's INSTIGATION BEGAN TO TELL HIS PITHY ANECDOTES ABOUT THE DAYS GONE BY, OR DELIVER HIS STILL PITHIER AND HARSHER JUDGMENTS UPON THE PRESENT, HE INSPIRED IN ALL HIS GUESTS A SINGLE FEELING OF SINCERE RESPECT. In the eyes of visitors, the old-fashioned house, with its huge pier-glasses, its anti-revolutionary furniture, its powdered lackeys, presided over by the severe and intelligent old man of a past generation, with his gentle daughter and the pretty Frenchwoman, who treated him with such deference, presented an impressive but agreeable spectacle. But these visitors did not realize that, over and above the two or three hours when they saw the household there were twenty-two more each day during which the inner life of the house went on unseen this inner life had recently especially during their stay in moscow become exceedingly trying for the princess maria in moscow she was deprived of her dearest pleasures the visits from her pilgrims and the solitude which gave her such consolation at louisia Gurié. she could find no comfort or joy in the crowded city she did not go into society everybody knew that her father would not allow her to go without him and his health was too precarious to permit him to go out and consequently she received no invitations to dinner parties or balls she had renounced all hope of ever getting married she had too often witnessed the coldness and irritability with which he received and dismissed such young men as occasionally came to their house and who might have been her suitors the princess maria had no friends since her arrival in moscow her eyes had been opened in regard to the two who had been more intimate with her than all the rest mademoiselle Burine, in whom even in times past she could not feel perfect confidence had now become positively disagreeable to her and for several reasons she felt obliged to hold her at a distance julie with whom she had kept up an uninterrupted correspondence for five years was in moscow but she seemed like an utter stranger to her when they met again face to face julie by the death of her brothers had become one of the wealthiest girls in moscow and was completely absorbed in the pleasures of fashionable society she was surrounded by young men who she said to herself had suddenly awakened to the appreciation of her merits she found herself now rapidly growing old and felt that her last chance of finding a husband was passing and that now or never her fate must be decided the princess Maria, with a melancholy smile remembered as each thursday came round that now she had no one to write to, since Julie, whose presence gave her no delight, was in town, and she could see her every week. She, like the old French émigré, who refused to marry the lady at whose house he had spent all his evenings for a number of years, was sorry that Julie was so near, because now she should have no one to write to. She had no one in Moscow to whom she could confide her sorrows, and since coming there these sorrows had increased and multiplied. The time for Prince Andrei's return, and for his marriage, was drawing nigh, but his father seemed no more inclined than before to listen to his entreaties and sanction it. On the contrary, he would hear nothing to it, and the mere mention of the Countess Rostova drove the old prince beside himself. As it was, he was in a bad temper the greater part of the time. The Princess Maria had a new and additional trial, at this time, in the lessons which she gave her six-year-old nephew. In her treatment of Nikolushka, she recognized with dismay that she was liable to fits of irritability similar to her father's. No matter how many times she reproached herself for losing her temper during his lesson hours, it happened almost every time when she sat down with the pointer to teach him his French alphabet, that from her very desire to help him along as rapidly as possible, to make his tasks easy and give the little fellow all the superfluity of her own knowledge, the slightest inattention on the part of the little boy— who was afraid, to begin with, of an outbreak of his aunt's irascibility, would make her tremble with indignation, lose her patience, grow angry and raise her voice, and sometimes even seize him by the arm and stand him in the corner. After doing this, she would begin to shed tears over her hasty temper, her ugly nature, and Nikolushka, sobbing out of sympathy, would leave his corner without permission, run up to her, and pull her tear-wet hands from her face and try to comfort her. But by far the greatest trial of all was caused, the princess, by her father's irritability, which was always vented upon his daughter, and which of late became even cruelty. If he had compelled her to do penance all night long with prayers and genuflections, if he had struck her, if he had compelled her to draw wood and water, it would have never occurred to her that her position was hard. But this loving tyrant, all the more terrible from the very fact that he loved her and therefore tormented both himself and her, took especial pains not only to insult and humiliate her, but to make her feel that she was always and forever in the wrong. And latterly he discovered a new whim, which tormented the Princess Maria more than all else put together. This was his constantly increasing friendship for Mademoiselle Burine. First suggested to his maid by the news of Prince Andre's engagement, the farcical notion that, if his son were going to marry, then he would marry Burine evidently flattered his fancy, and of late he had stubbornly lavished especial attentions on the Frenchwoman, for the special purpose, as it seemed to the Princess Maria, of affronting herself, and of expressing his disapprobation of his daughter by making love to Burine. In Moscow, on one occasion, when the Princess Maria was present, it seemed to her that her father chose that time on purpose the old prince kissed Mademoiselle Burine's hand, and, drawing her to him, embraced and fondled her. The Princess Maria flushed with anger and left the room. After a few moments Mademoiselle Burine rejoined her, smiling, and began to tell some entertaining story in her agreeable voice. The Princess Maria hastily wiped away her tears, went with decided steps straight to Burine, and, evidently not knowing what she was doing, began to shout at the Frenchman in furious haste and with explosive accents. It is shameful, contemptible, beastly, to take advantage of a man's weakness. She did not conclude her sentence. Leave my room, she fairly screamed, and then burst into tears again. The following day, the prince said not a word to his daughter, but she observed that at dinner he ordered Mademoiselle Burine to be served in precedence of all others. At the end of the dinner, when the butler, according to his usual custom, handed the coffee round, serving the princess first, the old prince suddenly flew into a passion, flung his cane at Philip, and instantly gave orders that he should be sent to serve as a soldier. "'You didn't obey me! Twice I told you. You didn't obey me! She's the first person in this house. She is my best friend!' screamed the prince. "'And if you,' he added in a perfect fury, for the first time addressing his daughter, "'if you permit yourself, if you dare!' another time as you did this evening to forget your duty before her then i will show you who is master of this house away with you out of my sight here beg her pardon the princess maria begged emily berine's pardon and then interceded with her father for the butler philip at such moments there rose in the princess maria's soul a feeling like the pride of an immolated victim and then, again, at such moments, this father whom she blamed would either search for his spectacles, not seeing them, when they were close at hand, or would forget what had only just happened, or would stagger along on weakening limbs, glancing lest anyone should have seen his feebleness, or, what was worse than all, after dinner, when there were no guests to keep him awake, would suddenly fall into a doze, dropping his napkin and nodding his head over his plate. He is old and feeble and do I dare to judge him, she would think at such moments, with revulsion of feeling and disgust at herself. End of chapter 2